It is time to go deeper in God's Word. It's time to engage in truth. Here is Dr. Steve Ford and Pastor John Bornsheen. Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornsheen. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. I'm thrilled that you're tuning in again today. I am here in the studio with my good friend, Dr. Steve Ford. He is back. We have been like ships in the night. Really, ever since I got back from Israel, I was out for a few weeks. He was running solo. I get back, then he's out. And so we've both been taking turns covering the show and running solo while we've continued some very incredible, difficult, and necessary discussions, topics that we needed to cover, especially when it comes to the prophecies related to the nation of Israel. We just wrapped up that series, and today we begin a brand new series. So, Dr. Ford, I'm so glad that you are here today for the series that we have coming up over these next many weeks as we talk about some very difficult <laughs> subjects. So I need you here with me yeah. to do this. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to helping you read the mail we get. Oh, so. <laughs> boy. Yeah. No kidding. Let we've got uh, at least 10 <laughs> topics we are going to be covering here, and we've uh, felt that these were necessary because they are often uh, called the 10 issues that divide Christians. Now, let me tell you what those are. Number one, government. Number two, American exceptionalism. Number three, social justice, abortion, homosexuality, pornography, war, environmentalism, religious pluralism, and evil. And the reason why I bring up evil in the last category there is because that's often one of the stumbling blocks for unbelievers is why all this evil is going on in the world while God is still on his throne. How does that happen? How do we make sense of such things? So we're going to be going through these 10 vital subject matters because that's what happens. They divide Christians. We end up on one side or another as if there's only two camps or perhaps 10 different variations of those camps in the middle, and everybody has an opinion. And so, as Dr. Ford said, we're expecting probably a bit of mail, a <laughs> few emails here, um, maybe even some phone calls, and it's not our hope at all to create division. That is not our intent. Uh, we're already divided on these subject matters. Our hope in this is that we can cover it from a biblical worldview, give some guidance along the way. Maybe we answer a few questions for you. Maybe we help ease some of the tensions that are out there. Because after all, according to Romans chapter 15, we are supposed to be one mind and one voice before Almighty God. Yeah, we fully embrace uh, Christian unity. I know both of us do, mm -hmm. as, as the Lord prayed for us. But hopefully some of these things will maybe uh, help us understand how people on the other side of a particular issue may be coming to that conclusion, how they're seeing them, and just uh, be a little bit more patient, a little bit more understanding, and just open our eyes to a different way of looking at things. That's right. I mean, even the Apostle Paul, when talking to young Timothy, approached these subjects of us not being arrogant or proud, right. rude or haughty. While we have the truth, we can beat somebody up with that right. truth and turn them away from it entirely. And then we can also have the foolish perception that we somehow have all the truth and everybody else is <laughs> wrong. Right. Uh, when if our truth is not fully grounded in God's word, then it may be our emotions or perceptions that are dominating that train of thought mm -hmm. when we need to come back to the foundation of God's holy word. Yeah, because we could be bringing... Uh, cultural ideas in instead of a mm -hmm. biblical worldview. It, this is an opportunity for us to really think about the things that we believe and why we believe them and how those those thoughts came to be. That's right. And not have an eisegesis perspective. Right, exactly. Because we come at it with a 
perspective, and then we find the scriptures that support that perspective <laughs> rather than just reading it for what it says. Right. And so we may challenge some of our comfort zones yeah, along the way. I mean, clearly, sure. when we're going to talk about these 10 issues that we all probably have some very strong opinions about, we may cause you to have a little bit of concern, yeah, maybe, maybe ruffle make some you feathers. Yep. <laughs> Get you uncomfortable <laughs> maybe in a good a way, bit. though. And that's okay. We, we want to make sure, though, that we take this always back to God's holy word. Amen. Because it's, it's, again, not an intent to offend you, but rather to start the conversation, uh, brothers uh, having conversation, brothers and sisters in Christ talking about these yep. things. So we invite you to that conversation. And yes, you can reach out to us at calvaryfountain.com. This is a Calvary Chapel ministry. You can reach out to us, email us, let us know some of your thoughts. We'll try to even address some of those on the air. But we do have a great deal to talk to you about. Let me kick it off with this, Dr. Ford. A friend of mine, Alex McFarland, he is an, uh, an apologetics teacher, and he's one of the best. He, he was a dear friend of mine, still is. Uh, we met at Focus on the Family, worked there together for many years, and then the Lord took us in other directions to serve in other capacities. But he continues to be a voice for this. He is out there often speaking with church leaders, hosting a number of conferences and Q&A sessions, and just talking about a biblical worldview. And so in this, he was stunned when he went and spoke with a large group of pastors and found out that after the conference, he had offended a number of people. In fact, the organizer of the event had received a number of complaints, and then he took those to Alex to share his concerns. And the issue was that the event organizer had said that he was clearly Republican and wasn't taking a more broader perspective. The interesting thing in this is that Alex never used that word. He never said Republican, and he had never added any word toward any other party. So he never said Republican or Democrat or any neutral third party or whatever that might be. Never said that. All he addressed were the topics of abortion, gay marriage, welfare, and the role of government. That was it. He, he addressed those topics, but because of this very diverse crowd, they just said, well, he's clearly Republican. Now, that just shows you where we've come, especially with the philosophies of each of these American political parties, that you just have to bring up these issues, and now suddenly you're in one camp versus the other. And I think that clearly helps us perhaps articulate a little bit of the concern here is the fact that what we're not what we're talking about here is not a republican democrat thing these are biblical issues there are biblical perspectives on abortion gay marriage welfare and the roles of government right so those are clearly articulated in scripture so i can have a very strong opinion about that and those who know me know that i'm very pro life i'm anti abortion but i'm also very concerned about the mothers and the families that's dads right. and people who are caught up in this and they think that's their only way and and we're beating them up with a message of of saying well you hate life well hang on let's teach them how to live so right. that they value the life that has been given to them and that's what you know we have wonderful organizations Life Network here in Colorado Springs, and they minister to the whole family so that they understand the value of life from the womb all the way to the grave. And it's a it becomes a whole teaching and educational cycle of helping them understand why they're so important to a God who loves them, who gave his only son for them, right? right? And, and so we have a very strong opinion about life at all stages, but we also have a strong value of over marriage, that it not be redefined, of what God deems as 
this is what marriage is, and so we as the Christian church then take that stand. Yeah, I think you make a great point that we do in presenting these issues. We do want to be uh, loving, respectful, maybe even winsome, but I don't remember the Lord ever saying, thou shalt not offend anyone. And right. that, and contrary to that, he said that the teachings that he was giving us will offend people That's and right. will divide people. So in, in spite of our, our best efforts of you know trying to present the gospel in those ways, it will bring offense. Mm-hmm. That's true. And we end this as we talk about these 10 issues that divide Christians. And here we're on the subject of government. It'll probably take us a couple weeks just to get through this one. What we find is that this chasm has grown very wide. Yeah. And it suddenly now is a Christian. That means that because I have a passion, a concern for biblical truth and how it's being manipulated, distorted, and broken in society in the moorings, the foundations that have made this country what it is are now eroding because I'm passionate about that. That means I'm wholly Republican or wholly one particular party or group. What we have to understand here is that as a Christian, I'm going to stand on biblical principles and now what happens is because this chasm has grown so wide between these parties, now that means you're 100% of one camp versus the other. That means if I'm a Christian, that means I'm 100% Republican. And then those who represent the Republican Party sometimes make some really erratic decisions and behaviors that are unbecoming, as we would deem as a Christian behavior or representation of Christ or the things that I hold dear. And so now you have this dichotomy going on. On to say, well, wait a minute, I said I'm, I'm a Republican, and then that person acted like that and did that. So now that's reflective on all of Christendom. So we've got these challenges, and I think that young people struggle with this a great deal. You know that I'm getting old when I say the young people, <laughs> right? Um, but I think they struggle with this because they see we only have really these two uh, parties that seem to uh, capture all of the votes, right? So you have one or the other, and then you have all of these issues that arise between both parties. As a Christian, our obligation to this is to do as Christ commands us to do. We are followers of Jesus Christ. So if what Christ has commanded us to stand firm and for, then that's how we vote, right? And the issue then becomes when people say, well, now you're voting the lesser of two evils. The challenge that we have before us is if, say, there are 10 issues and nine of the issues are clearly in one party's defense of a pro-biblical perspective, then clearly that's where I'm going to have to vote because I'm going to at least take – if I can get nine out of those 10, I'm going to vote that direction. If the other one says they're going to only vote for one or stand for one while the other standing for nine, that's what I'm going to have to do. It doesn't mean that either side is going to fully represent Christendom because if they're not Christians, they're not going to represent Christ. So what we have to do is separate ourselves from this a bit and say, first and foremost, I'm a Christian in America. We'll be covering that a great deal when we get into the subject of of nationalism, this American exceptionalism, Mm -hmm. if you will. And so we'll get into that some more. But when it comes to the body of Christ, we have to first be united as Christians going forth into a world that is pagan. It is wrought with immorality. We as Americans have this privilege to vote. Therefore, if we take advantage of that privilege, then we have to align whatever our decisions are with the most that we can get for that which is glorifying to God, right, first and foremost. But we have to then step back from all of this and go, how did we get here? 
Because there, there was a time in America's history where it seemed as though the Christian value system, the Judeo-Christian values were woven into the fabric of society because truly that's where morality comes from. You don't have morality apart from God's word. See, we seem to think that God's word was sort of coupled onto or added into a society that was already somewhat relatively good or established with its own system of laws. And then we have these religious values that are added on to it some way, some part along the journey, some point throughout this path. And what we find is that's not actually true. The, the civilized societies around the world were made civilized because at some point the Bible was infused into the bedrock of their society. Germany, before it became a, a world power, was rather barbaric. The Anglo-Saxons were barbaric. It was missionaries who brought them the gospel, even for the Germanic tribes, even helping them write an alphabet, gave them an alphabet so that he could give them the gospel. And in giving them the gospel, he transformed these barbarians into civilized people because it became the bedrock of their culture. We see that with the Anglo-Saxons as well. They were going to turn the Anglos into angels is what some of the missionaries went to do. And so help them be able to capture by way of an alphabet that gave them the gospel, that transformed their society. And ultimately, as we see, we'll get to some of this later on, that leads to the discovery of America all these centuries later. And then we find that our society is actually built on the principles of the Bible. This is where morality comes from. And there was a point, it seemed like America used to understand that. It's leaders, it's founders. That's why we think that there was a somehow an exceptional nation that was established here because it was built on biblical principles likened unto the nation of Israel. Some have taken that to an extreme to suggest that God has a covenant with America unique or apart from Israel. And what we have to understand is God has done a mighty work in this nation, and those good things are worth fighting for. But first and foremost, we're a Christian That's right. in America. So let's take a little dive down, little path down history for a moment, Dr. Ford, and you can jump in here as well. Um, but there was a big decision that happened on November 20th, 1946, a landmark court decision that results in government hostility toward religion. At some point along the way, and we have talked about this, where prayer was removed from schools, uh, the, the bedrock of our curriculum system in schools was changed, uh, the, the things of, of a biblical-defined nature were, were removed, stricken, from the American way of life, and we've been dealing with the consequences ever since. One of those landmark decisions, again, November 20th, 1946, Arch Everson filed a grievance before the Supreme Court that his tax dollars should not pay for the transportation of students to a local Christian school. In this case, it was a Catholic school, I believe, and because he believed that it violated the separation of church and state. Now, that terminology keeps coming up because people have misunderstood that, that somehow that was constitutional writing, that there should be this separation of church and state. And that's not the case. In fact, the Danbury Baptist Association of Danbury, Connecticut, had sent a letter on October 7th of 1801 to the newly elected president, Thomas Jefferson, and they were expressing concern over the lack in their state constitution of explicit protection of religious liberty and against the government-established religion. That was their concern of going right back to what our nation had left of the oppression 
of this religious order that had consumed the governance of the land become corrupt and dominated everything, right? So we would think that having a Christian society where the government and the church and all of it was homogenous and all intertwined and beautiful, that will happen under Jesus Christ. But as long as there are sinful men who are given power, and we know that absolute power corrupts absolutely, uh, we see that that happened in our historical uh, dealings, especially when it came to the Catholic Church, the universal church at that time. They didn't want that again, where these powers were abused and corruption ensued. And so before this ruling, the First Amendment was generally understood to prevent government interference in the free practice of religion. But in 1947, a ruling was given. The Supreme Court mandated that government must be neutral toward religion and in general must not support religion. Wait a minute. So the entire bedrock and fabric of the United States was in, was ingrained in a Christian understanding of morality, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The ways of, of Christendom were, were infused within this bedrock of our society. And now the government was going to take this neutral position, in fact, nothing to support religion at all. The ruling has then been expounded to great length, and now has created what we deem as government hostility toward religion, all from those series of events that somehow you would have to define that anything that government might participate in with a religious manner, any praying, any reading of God's word, any infusing of of the Bible's specific teachings into the school system or into the fabric of government at all from a legal position even, that somehow this was a violation, not of church and state, but a violation of the government's role with religion. Therefore, it could have no part in it. And of course, we understand now how we're eroding as a society, when you take away the bedrock that parents should be understanding toward one another, that a husband who loves his wife, that parents are, are to raise up a family that is God-honoring, that children then respect their parents and respect those in authority, that they're not to murder, they're not to blaspheme, they're not to steal and rob and kill and destroy, that these things are all bad. I mean, where else do you go right. for such teaching? Right. And it, suddenly we see the ramifications that crime is through the roof. There's no respect for those in leadership because there's no respect for parents. And, and, and we could see it happening right before our eyes real time. And so when we stripped the things of God's word from the fabric of a society, we are now dealing with the consequences therein. And, and people somehow deem that as good. That because that was a Christian teaching, that was a violation of the government's role in these three spheres of the family, religion, and government. But because the government was built on something of God's rule and law, that that had become a violation and, and therefore deemed bad. And now we're seeing the eroding of our society all around us. And we have to understand when we go back to all of this, 21 of the founding fathers had declared that America was under God. Even the Mayflower Compact read that this nation was established, listen, for the advancement of the Christian faith. In fact, the New England Primer, some call it the New England Primer, was written as the first textbook in America in 1687 to educate the American colonies on how to read and write, listen, so that they could read the Bible 
and keep the government accountable to God. So the founders' convictions undeniably included belief that absolute morality exists, absolute moral oughts and ought nots were known in the conscience of all people. Now, it didn't just get there, but we do know, according to Romans chapter 1, that God has made himself evident in all that he has created. But when you have parents who understand what is morally right versus that which is wrong in teaching their children accordingly, that impacts generations to come. I mean, there used to be a time when kids would Young men would go around the car and open the door for a young woman. They would stop even outside a place of business, open the door so that women could walk in or or the elderly walk in because there was respect for women, respect for elders. That's all biblical training. Right. And and then we thought, well, no, that was supposed to just happen in, in living rooms by osmosis, <laughs> right? That just happens. No, you've got to train a society to do these things to undo the sin nature that's within us. And if that stops by three or four generations, it's gone. Yeah. And, and certainly we're dealing with ramifications of that. But absolute morality, natural law, they believed was consistent with the Ten Commandments. That's why we have in America what was called a Judeo-Christian worldview. They believe the government was sub deo et lege. What that means is under God and under law. Henry Bracton uh, who's really 1210 to 1268, right in that time frame, known for teaching about law. He took it back to that concept. For true law to exist, it has to even override the authority of kings. That means that God's law has to supersede those of a king's laws for true freedom to exist, for true morality to even exist. And Sir Edward Cokes has that conversation with King James in 1620. That is etched on the door of the Supreme Court to remind the king that he is under God and under law. That's where freedom comes from. That's where morality comes from. So the foundation on whom absolute truth exists is God. If a nation understands that, it will go well with them. When they remove that and try to make the government autonomous from God, it will erode it falls under dictatorship, naturally digresses into socialism or some form thereof, Marxism, take your pick. That's what it digresses to when you take God out of the consciousness of man and out of the bedrock of a society. Yeah, you're exactly right, because then with moral relativism, right and wrong becomes whatever we say right and wrong are. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and there is no gold standard for right and wrong. They're just social constructs about what we want to say, what is right and what is wrong. And sometimes those social constructs still stick to underlying Christian beliefs about the sanctity of life, helping the poor. Uh, but for people who don't believe in the Bible, who don't have a Christian worldview, they're just adopting those mm-hmm. from Christianity. There's nothing in their belief system that would validate those That's right. you know, if you don't have a biblical worldview as your standard. Well, and, and I, I think it's such a powerful statement. We, give, we go back, we learn so much from history. And, and then it's also grievous because then we could see how far we've fallen oh, sure. as a nation. But President Eisenhower stated in 1954 that being a nation under God, listen, was the characteristic and definitive factor in the American way of life. He said that in 1954. Wow. Look how far we've come. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's not even 70 years ago. And, and we can look around us and say, are we really a society that is under God? Yeah. Hence, we've got to be so careful when we talk about American exceptionalism. It feels like we're more like West Babylon right. than we are the America 
that many fought and died for, yeah. and and the America that was firmly rooted in Judeo-Christian principles. So therefore, that chasm is growing wider, and we are even finding that those who call themselves either Republican or Democrat are even far removed from the biblical foundation that we know to be true. Therefore, we become a Christian in a pagan society, but it doesn't mean that all is lost. And I think, Dr. Ford, is we know time gets away from us so quickly, we're going to come back to this next week because we're going to try to give all of these tough topics at least a couple weeks. As Christians, how then do we engage with government? We are given some very specific instruction biblically of how we engage with government and, yes, even pray for those who are in leadership That's over right. us, praying for their salvation, Amen. praying for their repentance, praying that they would honor God in the positions that they hold. There's a lot we can learn biblically about what to do in these matters. And so I want to encourage you, come back again, listen to this program again and again, and catch part two of this discussion as we go through the top 10 issues that divide Christians. Our subject today has been government. We'll continue that theme again next week. We want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth. To find this program and others, just go to calvaryfountain.com. And we'd love to worship with you on Sundays. Our services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. We'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.